Hey, I'm glad to see you today and glad to have those worshiping with us online as well. This morning I came into church and people said, you look so good. And I so seldom hear that. And, and so I said, thanks. And, and they were referring to my black eye. If you weren't here, <clears throat> I got a black eye over spring break. Alcohol was not involved. I fell. And, uh, and what happened was it got really bad before it got better. And now I just have the remnants of my black eye. But if you haven't been here, you didn't know. What's that thing on his face? That's part of my black eye, right? And so do you think I look better? So I'm thinking about doing it again just for the compliments. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, uh, my brother-in-law sent me a picture uh, of what I might want to get to help me there. He said... <laughs> He said, if I was going to be falling down, hitting my head, maybe I needed to get one of those. And I thought to myself, what would I look like with that helmet on like that? Hmm, I wonder what my face would look like like that. I guess we'll just have to wonder, won't we? Anyway, I'm so glad that you're here. Now, listen, we're going to be doing, we're doing these seven churches in Revelation, right? And so what I want you to look at today is this church we're going to talk about. There's some parallels to a, another place, an actual place where I served um, some years ago. And so I want to tell you that story as we get started today, okay? In 1979, I answered the call of the ministry. I'd worked for a year in Niceville, Florida. Now I had to go back and finish college. And so I went up, and one of the places I interviewed was in Opelika, Alabama, Auburn, Opelika. I interviewed at the Trinity United Methodist Church there. When I went up there, uh, I went because uh, I was going to go to Auburn. I was going to finish school at Auburn. And at that time, the movie Norma Ray came out. Anybody old enough to remember the movie Norma Ray? Sally Field was in the movie Norma Ray, and it was about the union and the textile mills uh, in Opelika. And at that time, they were still alive and open and vibrant, and so it was really uh, appropriate uh, that they talked about that and talked about the union there. Uh, but later on, the textiles moved overseas, and so I ended up getting a scholarship to Huntington College, so I worked at a church in Montgomery until I, I graduated from college. Now, fast forward to 2006. In 2006, I was appointed to serve that church, Trinity, in Opelika, where I'd interviewed years before to be the youth minister, and so I was there as the senior minister. What I noticed immediately was when I moved to town, all the textiles had gone overseas. All the factories were closed. They were just shut down. They weren't doing anything with them. Some of them they had torn down, and so they were in a position where they had to make some decisions. They either had to change or die because they couldn't live based on what they had done in the past because it was no longer there. It was not going to be a way to make an income. Now, what I noticed was that it was kind of an island there because the little towns around there, all around there, they had been built on textiles. And so now the textiles had closed, but they didn't adapt. And so they didn't have any revenue and they didn't have an economy that was very good. <coughs> the school system was struggling. And so what I noticed was that Opelika, though, and Auburn, they changed. They did things differently. They, they started a new industrial park, and they uh, brought in new jobs and new people, and they moved into the community, and they had a future. While the surrounding communities were dying, Opelika was alive and vital and growing. 
The hospital expanded. They doubled their rooms there and their capacity. There was a new commercial development that they built. It was called Tiger Town. It was a lot like Pier Park, and they both kind of started similar at the same time. New plants opened up. In fact, Walmart opened a distribution center there in Opelika. The school system continued to be strong. It was a place that people wanted to move. Now, it's a crossroads. It's a crossroads between Birmingham, Alabama, and Columbus, Georgia, between Atlanta, Georgia, and Montgomery, Alabama. The railroad came through there, and it was a crossroads, okay? And they even had an intersection there called Five Points. You can see a lot of people were coming and going there. The interstate was right there, so it was right on a, a real good route. Now, what happened was that they just continued to develop economically. Now, why did I tell you that story? Well, because today we're going to look at the church in Sardis. And Sardis had a lot of things in common with Opelika and the churches there. The difference was that they could have learned from what Opelika did. If they could have applied that at Sardis, it would have been beneficial to them. Now, we've been talking about John the Apostle, and he's on the Isle of Patmos, and he's talking about these churches he's writing to, and he starts at Ephesus, moves his way up to Smyrna, comes back around. Today, he's writing to Sardis, and Jesus is telling him what to say. The next two weeks, we'll look at Philadelphia and then Laodicea as well. Now, Ephesus was the first week. It was a busy church, and they'd lost their first love. They had been a model for evangelism for 30 years. They'd shared their faith with other people in a powerful way, but then they had gotten busy, and their busyness had kind of put God on the back burner. And, and so, you know, Jesus is saying, here are all the things you're doing right. And by the way, all these churches, he's telling them things they're doing right, but he's telling them a, a reason to grow. He's telling them an area that they can get better. Why? Because he wants to help them. So when Jesus talks to you and me, when he talks to our church, when he talks to us as individuals, when he corrects us, he doesn't do that to make us feel bad. He does that to help us to do the right thing. And so I want you to look at it with that spirit today as we walk through this together. In week two, it was Smyrna, the suffering church. They were persecuted. They were a poor church in a rich town, and all the people with culture and money and power, they were the ones worshiping false gods. Why can't the Christians just worship false gods with us? And so they persecuted them. Week three, uh, per Pergamum. Pergamum was a confused church. They had been a church that preached the truth, that told the truth, that knew the truth, that read the truth, that believed the truth. But then they got confused. They lost their way because the culture started crowding in around them. And the culture started saying, well, you don't have to do that. You don't have to do it that way. And, and here's a better way. And really, this is more modern. And, and you don't have to do that anymore. And so they lost their way. They lost the truth. Then we looked at Thyatira, which was a tolerant church. They were tolerant of a woman named Jezebel, who was not a prophet, but she claimed to be. And whatever the people of the church said, whatever they told her to do, she did just the opposite. She was rebellious. And so she, she was really creating havoc in the church, and she was not good for the church, and they needed to get rid of her. And then what Jesus is saying to a dying church today, because that's what Sardis was. It was a dying church. What do you do when you feel like you're at a dead end? Well, he gives us something to follow, a formula to follow, a prescription that we can take, something that we can do to be revitalized again. 
In Revelation 3, Sardis was at a dead end. And Jesus is saying, I know your reputation, know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Now, what they were living on was their reputation. See, they had a reputation for doing the right thing. And so what they said was, well, you know what? We got a reputation. We don't have to worry anymore. And so they no longer were doing the right things. And if we're not careful, we can be like that. Well, you know, I've been faithful all these years. Maybe I can coast a little bit now. Why do I have to do this again? Because every day is a new day. It's a new opportunity to be faithful to God and be all he calls us to be. But they were going to grow and they were going to change. They were going to have to hear some tough words. Now, here's what I want you to understand. The church was created to grow. I want you to look at the person next to you and tell them that. The church was created to grow. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, you know, I like a small church. Where is that in the Bible? Hmm? Nowhere. Mm -mm, I don't think so. You see, what God says is, no, you, the reason that you're saved, the reason somebody told you about me is so that you could tell somebody else. You could follow that model for evangelism. You, now, are all the people here in Bay County saved? Is everybody churched? Well, we got some work to do then, don't we? And so we need to be telling people so that they can know because fear stops churches from growing. They get in this mindset of things are the way I like them. Hey, people say, well, I don't want to go there. It's too big. We, we had a church one time. I was serving. It was a new church. And people would say, well, I don't want to go there. It's too small. And then it grew. And then they said, well, I don't want to go there. It's too big. And I said, hello, you're just not going to be pleased, are you? You're not going to find a church. There is no perfect church. But, but there's no such thing as a church that's too big. Everybody wants large church variety. They, I like all the programs. I like, all, I like that you have different services. I like that you have different small groups. I like that you have CR and divorce recovery and, and all the stuff that you do. I like that, grief share. I like all that stuff. But, you know, I need a small group to connect with, and that's why we tell you every week, get in a small group, get in a growth group, get in a class, because that's your connection. It doesn't matter how big the church gets. If you've got your people, you're sitting with your people right now, aren't you? Some of y'all come to church, and you sit with your people. You don't go just sit by yourself. You sit with your people, don't you? If you don't have any people, get some people, you know? Look around at somebody who's sitting there by themselves and go, you, you're one of my people. Get over here and sit with me. You know, because that's what, we, that's what the church is. It's fellowship and it's relationship. And so they were living off their past reputation, but they weren't, that wasn't reality, okay? Now listen, we in the church are not on a cruise ship. What have you done for me lately? Let's just see how you can impress me this week, right? No, that's not what we're about. We are on a lifeboat ship. We're trying to get folks saved. There are people out there drowning, and we're trying to reach out to them, and that's not just a cruise. That's not just easy going. That's out there. We got the binoculars. We're looking around. God, you got somebody for me today? I want to see somebody get saved. I got to go to lunch last week with a man. We sat down. We had... Uh, Mexican food together, and we prayed to, for him to receive Christ before it was over. Isn't that good? I mean, that's just good medicine. That's the best day I had last week, right? It's pretty good for him too, wouldn't you say? 
Yeah. And so he just never heard the gospel. He just never had it presented. He'd grown up going to church. He just didn't know. And I, when I explained it, I said, you want to do it? Yeah, I want to do it. I said, okay, let's do it. The staff was praying for me. I gave the whole day to it. And it was worth it because it, it was something eternal, wasn't it? And that's what we're looking for. So here's what I want us to see. He says, wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard, hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Now, the secret of the church at Sardis was that they were at a dead end and they needed to wake up. They had fallen asleep, and Jesus is trying to warn them through John of what they need to do. Now, Sardis was located about 30 miles from Thyatira, and it was an intersection. It was a crossroads, and they even had a place called Five Points, and, and it had been through some tough times, but it was moving on the way back up. The second half of the first century Sardis was once again prosperous, primarily because of their trade. Now, this is why I told you about Opelika. This is where it all comes together. You're sitting there going, why do you tell us about Opelika? What's that got to do with anything? Here it is, okay? They had a wool-dyeing industry. Textiles, that's what they were known for textiles and the words of the church were exceedingly stern the people were had been alive but they 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 looked alive but they were really dead and sardis was called to be in repentance and when you're living in repentance you know he says you know you've got to have your name in the lamb's book of life and in exodus talking to moses whoever has sinned against me him i will blot out of my book so you see how serious this is we got to take it seriously and that very sentence was used in the letter to the Christians at Sardis. The letter to the church at Sardis emphasized the authority of saying the power of Jesus as opposed to the self-serving, easy street attitudes I've been talking about. The white robes here in the scripture are talking about the image of a repentant Christian. Now, in those days, they were also, white was what a slave wore. Do you know why? Because it was cheap. And, and the wealthy people were the ones who could afford the color. They were the ones who could afford to have more decorative outfits and really, you know, have different kinds of colors. And there's a promise of the mark of discipleship of Christ is clothing that is the poorest, not the shades of the rich. In other words, anybody can come to Christ. Anybody can have a relationship with him. And he says, don't hang on to your false security. Don't get too wrapped up in your clothes, in your stuff, in the way you look. But more importantly, you know, what you need to focus on is, is me. I'm your security. Some of the women told me at the first service that they could put some concealer on my face <laughs> and cover things up. And yeah, that's what they said. And I said, well, if you did that, you'd have to do my whole face. In fact, I might just get me a paper bag and put it on and take out two little holes and a nose and a mouth, and I might just preach with that until the black eye goes away. What is it they have on TV? The mask singer? The mask preacher? Who is it? We don't know. Let's go find out. Let's see what he says. It would get somebody's attention. I don't know. Maybe the black eye would too. I don't know. So this brief letter to the Christians at Sardis makes the point that it is the Lord's church 
And here's the point. Here's what I want you to see. God is not a possession of the church. He is the possessor of the church. Now, that's, that's a good line. You ought to write that down. But here's the point. You ever talk about my church? My church did this. And my church did that. One time I was at this group of preachers, and I was sitting there, and I said, my church. And this guy said, your church? And I said, well, yeah, my church, you know. And I told him, and he said, your church? And I thought maybe he's hard to hear. And so I said, yeah, my church. And he said, I said, what should I say? And he said, the church you serve. Hey, that'll preach right there. It doesn't matter if you're a preacher or a lay person. That's what you're supposed to do. It's God's church. We just get a front row seat to watch him work, don't we? But here's what we think all the time. Well, I like it the way we do this, and I like it the way we do that, and I like a small church. And all. None of that stuff comes from God, and, and really God is in control. You are not in control. Look at the person next to you. Point your finger and say, you are not in control. Tell them. There's going to be a lot of marriage counseling going on this week. I can, I'm going to have to put in some extra hours at the office, take care of everybody, because you enjoyed saying that, didn't you? There's just a little bit of stuff undercurrent there, a little bit of stuff that's going around that you got to take care of. And so he says, you know, I want you to be free. And there are three prayers we can pray in order for us to get on the right track, okay? The first one is this, Lord, help me see the gaps in my life. Well, what are the gaps? The gaps are your reputation and reality. Here's what I'm known for, but is that what I really still do anymore? Because there's all kinds of gaps in what I say and what I do. Amen? And so we got to say, Lord, we need to get rid of the gaps. These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars he's talking about there. That, that's symbolic of the Holy Spirit and symbolic of the messengers of God who share his message. Jesus says you need God's message heard through God's spirit. Bring, that'll bring you life again. Jesus said, I know your deeds, that you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. And see, the joy of the Lord is my strength. If you ever get apathetic, you ever just get kind of blah, you get kind of bored, you're just kind of going through the motions, you know, getting close to God is where you can get recharged. I mean, that's why we come and worship Him, because we want to be with Him. And we need to have the strength that only He can offer us. And that's why the small group is so important to us. I know the difference between your reputation and reality. I know the gap that's there between what you say and what you do. And Jesus says, you're dead. Wake up. He's trying to wake them up. He's trying to help them. And he's trying to tell them, if you felt frustrated lately, then you need to realize, hey, that may be going on in my life. Maybe I can ask him to help me with mine. And he can. Between what we say and do, the gaps that are there. You want Jesus. And so what do we talk about being? We talk about being a disciple of Jesus Christ. But guess what? What does that take? Discipline. You get up every morning, read your Bible, and pray. You spend time alone with God. You have some discipline, and through those disciplines that he tells us about in his word, then we're, we're relating to him. We're spending time with him. 
We're not saved because we have discipline, but we're growing because God is working in our lives because we're being disciplined. So we're reading his word and praying. You know, this guy named Calvin Miller said that there are Christian disciples who are crossed bearers, and there are Christaholics who just want to be happy. Anybody just want to be happy? He, what he's saying is, is that God never said life is going to be happy. My friend Steve Winton, anybody know anybody named Winton in here? Cameron and Katie Winton. Well, Steve Winton's their dad, and he's the preacher at the First Methodist Church in Troy. He says, happiness is based on happenings, and happenings change. And we wonder, how come we're not happy? But the joy of the Lord is my strength. So it doesn't matter what the happenings are around us. It's the presence of God in us. It's His Spirit living in us alive and well. And when you say, I want to be a disciple, then you're looking for discipline. The gap between values and actions. Here's what I believe, but here's what I actually do. And see how that's different? We're not talking about being perfect. We're talking about being in pursuit of God. We're talking about growing. Now, here's some of the gaps that we can have in life. One of them is the materialism gap, wanting more things. Oh, boy, don't stay on that one too long. That makes me uncomfortable. Let's talk about the next one. The second one is the fear gap, the fear to tell the truth and the fear to hear the truth. I don't want to know the truth. The third one is the pride gap. I really like it when people notice me and mention how much better I look this week. You know? The fourth one is the lying gap. You're lying to yourself again and again and again. Then there's the forgiveness gap. I should forgive, but I just can't find the strength to do it. And then there's the image gap. We portray one image, but we're really someone else. Well, how do we deal with those gaps in our lives? We pray another prayer, and that's this one. Lord, Help me to close the gaps. That's the second thing. Remember, what you want me to be and who I am, are they the same thing? And it goes on in Revelation. It says, wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief. Now, he wants to revitalize our closeness to God, and he says, wake up. The church at Sardis was a reflection of the city there. Now, here's, let me tell you about this. The city is built on a plateau, and it's about 1,500 feet above sea level, okay? And the only way to get there is through a narrow entrance up the hill, and so it's real easy to defend. Because all you got to do is look around and see. You can see for miles, and you got one area to watch, and that's the only way people are going to come in and take over, right? So that how, it's a no-brainer, right? Twice in history, once by the Persians and once by the Greeks, the city was taken. What happened? Well, the reason it was taken both times is because they came at night and they figured up a way to climb up the cliffs and to get up to the top of the city and to take it over. No one was guarding the city. Why? Because they were convinced that no one could attack the city. So what were they doing? They were sleeping. That's what they were doing. And so when Jesus says to them, wake up, 
they, they relate to that. They know what's happened to their city before because they weren't paying attention. Boy, what an analogy he's using with them. Wake up. Everyone understood what he meant. They were vulnerable to attack, and we're vulnerable to attack of the enemy. This city was a perfect example of overconfidence and arrogance. The strange thing, though, about this church I want you to catch is this. This church didn't have any of the problems that the previous churches had. The previous churches had some built-in struggles. They didn't have any of those things. They didn't have false teachers. They weren't suffering persecution. It was not the home of Satan's throne. It was the church above all other churches, though, that was condemned by Jesus. Why? Because they had grown complacent. The longer you and I are Christians, the longer we walk with God, the easier it is to become complacent. And so, you know, we need to realize that America can be just like that. And our, our community can be like that. Our church can be like that. We can be like that if we're not careful. Wake up. I still want to work in your life, he says. Let your spiritual muscle, don't let them deteriorate. Wake up to what I want to do. Sardis had become, had become known as a city uh, that had been a, a centerpiece for but, but uh, in, instead it had become a it was a lost, lost, right, right. There were lights and lights and activity, activity. It was, ple- it was pleasure, but there was a lot, of, a lot about purpose. Did any of that sound familiar? Sound familiar? How Panama City Beach, Florida? Vacation, vacation, the nation. A lot of lights, a lot of activity. People check out their brains when they get to the Alabama line, and they just come down here to be on vacation, and they think that they don't even have to pay attention to the laws or anything else going on. Everything's just great, right? Steve Irwin, one of our associates, has prayed for years that Panama City Beach would be known as a godly place, not a sinful place. This is a place that tourists come to have fun. This is a place where people come to retire. But you know what? God says it's not just, life is not just about pleasure. God has called us all to be about purpose. And you say, well, you know, I used to do that. I used to be about purpose, but I'm retired now, and I don't need to do that anymore. Nay, nay, that's not true. Again, show me that in the Bible. Hmm? Hello, I'm waiting, waiting, nothing. Okay. So here's what I want you to see. The pleasure part, the sinful part, you know, it's not just talking about having fun. He's talking about getting sidetracked there. And there are two points that make us vulnerable to attack. Our weakest point makes us vulnerable to attack because we have fallen there repeatedly. And my strongest point, I'm vulnerable to attack because pride gets in the way. So both your weakest and your strongest, those are places you're susceptible. When Jesus says to the church, obey and repent, he's saying obedience is required for you to walk in a new direction. That's what repentance means. Lamentation says, let us test and examine our ways. Let us turn in repentance to the Lord. And Jesus says one other thing, let go of your false security. Turn to the person next to you and say, let go of your false security. Go ahead and tell them that right now. Now, why are we saying this? To help, right? All right, here's the third point. Lord, I will 
overcome. That's the attitude. That's the victory part. That's the attitude we need to have. And you might say, well, maybe I should say, Lord, I want to overcome. But listen, the word overcome there is a Greek word for the Greek goddess of victory. We all know who that is. The Greek goddess of victory, do you know what that, that goddess's name was? Nike. Hello. You knew that, right? And so, yeah, it's about victory. When Jesus says you're going to overcome, he's saying you're going to be victorious, and I believe in you, and it's going to be okay, and he's trying to encourage us. And then in Revelation it says, you have a few people in Sardis who have soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy, have not sold their clothes. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Okay? And then he says, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In other words, you keep doing what you're supposed to be doing. You keep living for me. You keep practicing that discipline so you'll be a faithful disciple. You keep wearing that white. See, white, that was an example of someone who is blessed, right, at peace before God, sinless because we've asked God to forgive us. White was also the color that the slaves wore. Why? Because it was the cheapest thing. And they couldn't afford all the ritzy stuff. You see, what that tells us is that God is available to everybody. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to have all the colorful clothes. You don't have to have all the stuff that the world says you got to have. You just got to be faithful and obedient and trust God and hear what the angel says. Now, he didn't say this to us to make us afraid. He said this to us to give us assurance so that we might see the gaps, we might close the gaps, and we might overcome. He's telling all the churches that information that will help them if they will listen and apply it. And only God can resurrect dead situations, and he can do it for you and me. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for what you do in our lives daily. Thank you that you forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. <coughs> Lord, maybe we've been at it a long time, and maybe we've become complacent. But Lord, we just pray that that would not be the case and that the joy of the Lord would be our strength. And we would be just as faithful now or more so than we've ever been because there are unchurched people, there are lost people around us all the time. And this week we might get an opportunity to lead one of them to Christ. And we pray that we will get that opportunity and we won't just talk about it. There won't be a gap between what we say and what we do. We'll actually go do it. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's children said.